the very last horse that they brought into the auction pen was a horse I recognized from the previous month, and he was young. He was clearly traumatized, running around in a frenzy, and his eyes were huge, but you could still see he was right there. He was pissed. <laughs> he was frustrated. He was over it, but he didn't look good at all. He was really beat up physically. So the auctioneer went through his and finally came around and said, all right, guys, who's going to take this guy home for 50 bucks? And my hand goes in the air and I'm like, what are you doing? Why is my hand going in the air? Carrie Lake had no intention of buying a horse that day in 1999, but something about the two-year-old Arab cross spoke to her. And then she spoke to him. Their shared experience would change both of their lives forever. I'm Nancy Aziz. Welcome to Rover Says, the podcast where we talk about the weird and wonderful things animals say when they open up to pet psychics. Some people call themselves animal communicators. Some people call themselves pet psychics. Some people kind of have a different uh, term for what they do. And so describe to me, how do you term what you do? I don't know how to draw a term for what I do because I show up and share all that I am. There was a time when I, I billed myself as an animal communicator and showed up kind of in that structure and in that light. But I always found that my awareness and my intuitive guidance went beyond just communicating with the animals. Anytime I connected with the animals, there was always an essence of the people right along with them. And so I couldn't separate somebody's pet from themselves as if to say, your animal wants you to know you know, th that's definitely part of it because there are often um, very direct, I would say insights more than messages, very direct insights that the animals facilitate. Like their, their very presence is the opportunity to receive an insight. And so rather than call myself an animal communicator, I simply started looking at how this ability is natural among humans and how I can um, nourish my natural ability to facilitate loving and intuitive insights um, in, in multi-species families and beyond. And have you always had that ability? When did this come to you? I, I was kind of born this way. <laughs> when I was um, three, I have very clear memories of talking to the trees when I was three. And again, it wasn't in language. It was all before words. I didn't have that the adult cognizance. I didn't have vocabulary. I just knew that apple trees were telling me jokes. And I remember hanging out and asking my friend, the willow tree, like, does this make sense to you? And the tree would just be like, hmm. But it was a sense of being heard and being seen. Um, fast forward to age four, when I did have some more words and tried to share uh, my awareness with humans, 
the humans would come back with, Oh, Carrie, the dog is not talking to you. No, Carrie, the bricks are not alive. No, Carrie, the grass is not singing. Right? And so it, it really is, I learned in time, even though I was born oriented in this direction, and I could feel it in everybody else, um, it takes time to learn how to relate to humans on these levels. Because the rest of life is relating this way 100% of the time, all the time. If people are telling you all the time, no, the bricks aren't talking, no, the trees aren't talking, no, the dogs aren't talking, how did you, I guess, move forward with that and know, like, yeah, they are? <laughs> like, how did you say that? It's right there. You know, how are you not seeing this? That That's what it was like to me. Yeah. Um, I I guess I just need to chalk it up to my own uniqueness that... I really was very literally, genuinely born aware of connection, the way life relates to itself. It's more real to me than the physical objects in the room. It's more real to me than what other people had ever said. And it's real because it's, it's what I sense and feel in, in the core of my being. It was very confusing for a very long time that other people were not seeing the same things I was seeing because it felt it was as real as sunlight. Over the years, Carrie learned to understand her unique gift and began helping others communicate more deeply. That day at the horse auction, she would put it into use, communicating with a frightened colt that would soon be hers. Though she hadn't wanted to buy a horse, she'd only been there supporting her friend who was looking for a pasture buddy for her three-year-old quarter horse mare named Gail. We went to an auction together at, because often you can, you know, save a horse from slaughter at an auction and give somebody a really good home. The first month that we went to the auction, at the very end of all of the sales, there were these two small bay horses that were run in to the auction pen together. They were frenetic, um, they were in disrepair, they clearly had not had um, much of any kind of kind hand on them. They were not gelded yet, so they were two stud colts, um, one a little bit bigger than the other. And it just, it just looked to me like um, nobody had ever given the thought that they might be worth anything, and so that's, that's how they looked, and that's how it seemed that they had been treated. I didn't see them out in the the viewing pens because you know you can always go visit the horses before the actual sale begins. I didn't see those guys out there and my sense was is they were brought in late, they were run in late, like not wanting anybody to examine them and just get them sold. So um, when I showed up the next month and saw, recognized this, he was the smaller of the two um, who had been brought back and covered with whip marks and his hair missing and stuff like that. My sense of it was that those two horses had originally gone to the Mexican rodeo where they do some really harsh things and, uh, you know, like uh, make horses run really, really fast and then rope their legs to uh, knock them down. It's called horse tripping. And so that was my sense is that that's where those two horses had gone. And perhaps this one little horse just decided not to play the game and preferred to stand and be whipped rather than run and be tripped. 
and the marks on his body kind of told you that story and his behavior yeah his his behavior just the fire in his eye and just knowing um, a bit about the you know the location of that auction and um, different different cultural things that go on in that area Carrie and her friend ended up leaving the Northern California auction without finding a horse, but they returned the next month to try again. At the end of the auction, they spotted one of the two horses from the last time. The bidding started at $500, but no one wanted the horse. Soon the price was down to $50, and before she knew it, Carrie had raised her hand. So, boom, the gavel comes down, and I just bought for $50 (laughs) a two-year-old recently gelded horse who had a horrible start in life and lots of injuries. Now Carrie was the proud owner of a young, frightened colt whose experience with people had given him no reason to trust them. Uh, I went and went to the office to pay my $50 plus spend $7 for a plastic halter because I didn't have a halter. I I wasn't looking for a horse on that day. And when I went to pay the fee, literally everybody in the office stopped and looked at me like I was a ghost. And they're like, oh, you're the one that bought that horse? Um, Be careful because he's going to kill you. The cowboys who'd struggled to get the horse onto the trailer also tried to warn her. Just about your state of mind when you walked in with this horse that you've been told by several people is about to kill you, and you've seen, you know, he's scared to death, he's got this wild eye, and you weren't afraid? Not a lick, not a breath of fear in me, not at all. I, don't, I can't even relate to being afraid uh, in that situation. And exact, because exactly like you said, he was scared. He was scared. That's what mattered. I didn't have to be scared. He was scared. I knew what I had to offer. And I knew, you know, I have enough skill around, like actual physical skill around horses. I I know how to move my feet, right? I, I know how to sense the space. I know where to put myself and where not to put myself. But I also knew my own heart, why I'm there what I have to offer. And I didn't go there to get anything from this horse. I went there to offer something to this horse. And it was going to be completely up to him. And he chose to say, okay, he gave me his ear. Smart pony. So Carrie brought that $7 plastic halter and walked outside to where the horse was standing in a small enclosure. And she let the horse feel what she was all about. The communication here wasn't about asking him what he needs or telling him necessarily what to expect or telling him anything. It began by me offering myself to him first and saying, you get to see whatever you want to see. This is me. And of course, you know, it was an, it it was a difficult setting. Looking at his body was difficult. He was covered with cuts and scrapes. Like the hair was stripped off of his back and his leg was bloody and And he had a scar where somebody had tied his mouth shut, you know, things like this. It was really not pretty at all. So there were lots of opportunities um, for pity or judgment or uh, disgust and all these things. 
it, it put me in a position to get honest with myself. Have I ever been bad to horses? Because I wanted him to see the truth in me, right? So I had to see the truth in myself. And I wanted, you know, have I ever been bad, bad to horses? Yeah, I was taught to treat horses badly. And I had done that in the past. But that's not who I am today. Here's who I am today. Offering communication first without expecting him to get what I want him to get. I wanted him to see what he was going to see. After a few minutes, Carrie went into the paddock with the horse. And I didn't hide the halter. I was going to need him to wear it. So I let him see it. And then still remained in this place of letting him see this is who I am. He looked through me. He looked around me. He didn't move his feet. He just stood there with this amazing eye, clearly knowing who he is. And I just honored that. I did start bringing in some communication to let him know telepathically and through images that, and through, through feeling, through my sense of relief, he's now free of that old life. My sense of uh, relief in our, the journey we're about to take out of that paddock, up an, alley, an alleyway and into the trailer. The sense of relief that he's on his way to a five-acre pasture with two-foot-tall grass. And then I stepped out again and gave him a minute to just process, relax with whatever he was going to do with what I had just shared, with my presence, with my offer. Carrie decided it was time to get the trailer ready to go. She says she then noticed people were watching. One cowboy had his rope with him. He stopped and, and he made sure I knew. He's like, you know, it took six of us to get that horse in a trailer. He's going to kill you. So you let us know when you're ready and we'll go ahead and rope him for you because you're not going to make any headway with that horse. And I just said, okay, thanks. And he looked at me, you know, with curiosity, like she doesn't know she's about to die and like, oh, and walked away. A couple times they're like, okay, you're going to need a rope. This horse was 13 hands. Horses are sized in hands and hands are four inches. This, he was a pony and it took six of them to get him in the trailer, which told me they were doing nothing but force and domination. And that was their method of communication. Stepped back into the paddock with him and about 10 feet from him. And I showed him the halter and told him silently, I need to ask you to wear this. And I need to ask you to come with me. We're going to walk out this paddock up that aisleway and up into the trailer so we can go to a pasture that's five acres with a friend and grass this high. Okay? And then I gave it a moment. And he looked at me. And he exhaled. And he gave me his ear. He hadn't given me anything up to that point. He just gave me his ear. And that was him saying, okay. I got you. That was Carrie's cue. She walked up to the little bay colt and slid the halter onto his head. He didn't move a muscle. He just exhaled again. I turned toward the gate. Zero pressure on the line. He came with me. 
Together we walked out the gate and up the scary hallway. He startled once, and when he did, I watched his thoughts look for escape. Like, what do I have to do to get out of here? My job at that point was to be so honest. I got you. We're walking this way. We're walking this way. This is what we're doing. This is, and it's we. It wasn't, you know, you're safe with me. It's this is what we are doing. And so by the time we got to the trailer, it just surpassed anything I could possibly have ever hoped for. He went around behind me and came over to my right side. And by the time we, we got to the edge of the trailer, we stepped into it side by side. Not a, not a lick of force, completely together. He put his head down to eat the hay that was there in the trailer and he gave me his ear again. He's like, I got it, let's go. I, I just stepped out, closed the trailer and got in the truck and drove him home. And all I remember um, behind me was silence. There were, there were cowboys sitting on the fence waiting for the show, um, but I, we drove away in silence. And it was, um, it was the most amazing, it's, it was one of the most amazing days of my life, honestly. Carrie hopes the people watching learned something that day. When they got to where they were going, that two-foot-tall grass she had promised was waiting. So was a whole new life. So tell me about that. Tell me about your relationship and, and where he is now and, you know, what you did together. Yeah. When we got back to the pasture, it, it literally was like an absolute healing. He was a completely different version of himself. He came off the trailer, like, bright-eyed and... Um, no hesitation whatsoever. He stepped off the trailer, licked and chewed, yawned a couple of times, and I immediately pulled out the hose and started washing the blood off of his legs and cleaning him up. And, and he, stood, he stood like he'd been doing it his whole life. Um, he relaxed, we brushed, he went out in the pasture, he ate grass, and we've got some great photos of him with like two feet of grass hanging out his mouth. Um, and we just hung out. I, I asked him, what do you think about a saddle? And he's a tiny horse. He was tiny. And the saddle looked huge. It wasn't like I was going to ride him, but we were just playing, you know, with, look at, here's some of the other things people do with horses. Carrie ended up naming him Dufresne after the main character in the movie Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne. Because he escaped a, a light, decades of torture while simultaneously revealing the injustices of his captors and lived out the rest of his days on a Pacific Island beach. Their time together wouldn't last long. Carrie was at a difficult point in her marriage and she was in no position to have a horse. She gave Dufresne to the friend she'd gone to the auction with. Carrie says the experience changed her life, and it most certainly changed Dufresne's. Dufresne, as far as I know, lived out his days uh, being a companion in a five-acre pasture with uh, two feet of grass. Carrie believes the positive experience Dufresne had with people not only helped him, but helps other horses understand humans can be kind. When horses and humans come together like this for what is clearly a paradigm shift, right? The horse can experience a paradigm shift 
with different humans. That horse serves as a kind of a beacon that takes this transformative experience back to the whole collective of the species, horse, as if to say, here's a report on what's possible in the interaction between horses and humans. It's part of how we evolve side by side in consciousness and on spiritual levels. We evolve side by side with other species. Consider that the next time you kiss your pony. Thanks so much for listening to Rover Says. If you like the show, please rate it and share so other people who want to know how animals really think can find us. And we'd like to hear from you. Tell us what your animals are telling you or what they've told animal communicators. We drop new episodes every other Wednesday.